I'm now going to be speaking with Nick Kerridge, one of the lead managers of the SJP Schroeder Managed Funds, who took over managing this fund in August 2010. Nick, welcome to this set of recordings. You manage the UK element of the managed fund. Could you remind us of the investment style that they use and help us understand what you look for when you're investing? Absolutely. Uh, the style is very deep value. We manage the fund in a way that we describe as a recovery style. It's extremely unconstrained and we hope produces superior performance over the longer term. We're looking for businesses that are extremely out of favour, very contrarian. And we're hoping that by going against the market, we can produce better returns over the long term. I guess some of the characteristics we're looking for from the companies, the first and most important is that they must be cheap versus uh, our appraisal of a kind of normalised level of profits that they could make over time or through cycle. That's absolutely fundamental. The second is, of course, that profits equal cash, that they have good cash characteristics. The third, that they have acceptable levels of capital risk when you're thinking about those returns. It's all very well to think about businesses that might be very depressed and have very, very high levels of potential return if it all goes well. But what are the chances of it all going well and what are the risks you're actually taking? The final point is probably to think a bit about the management teams in whom we're placing our trust and faith to deliver those returns. That's quite an important part of the investment case. I want to focus on, on the management teams, if I can. Um, how do you think it's possible to assess a, a management capability? I think that's an extremely difficult question to answer. And I suppose that's probably reflected in the way that we think about the management judgment. We're looking for a positive gate, not a kind of qualitative appraisal of how good they are. What we're looking for is managers who understand that we own the business and are looking to run businesses in the best interests of shareholders. We're not looking for exceptional managers because, in all honesty, uh, managers are very good at selling themselves and we don't believe in the limited time that we have to appraise them that we can make a great judgment as to whether or not they are fundamentally wonderful people or great managers of the business. Their historic track record is something we look closely at and in which we place good emphasis. But what we're looking for is managers who understand capital allocation who give us the right answers to questions of capital allocation when we're talking about where they're going to invest our money, be that in organic investments, in shareholder returns, or in M&A, where we have a very, very cautious approach. And is it all about shareholder returns? I think it, ultimately it does come down to shareholder returns. However you look at it, however that's generated, it is returns to the shareholders that we're looking for. There are... People will have different appraisals of this, certainly, and, and managers often have conflicting drivers. We look very closely at how they're remunerated. I think that's a very, very important part of the investment case. It's not that any one style of remuneration or methodology when it comes to remunerating managers is right. Sometimes uh, a kind of broad brush approach or several different KPIs lead there. But it's about them being set up in the best interests of making managers act for shareholders. Remuneration has obviously been in the press quite a lot recently. Have you changed your approach to um, looking at the way in which management are remunerated? I think it's something that we've always looked at very, very closely. Obviously, looking at smaller companies, quite deep value or situations where companies have fallen on tough times, we work very closely with our corporate governance team uh, and always have because these situations are more complex, more well, difficult. Can I just interrupt you for a moment? You talk about a corporate governance team. What exactly are their responsibilities? Well, obviously, there are some quite important aspects when it comes to voting for, electing directors, approving the remuneration structures for companies. All of these things, some people think of them as softer issues, but they're actually very, very important issues when it comes to trying to evaluate the company and keep them on the straight and narrow. We have a limited number of periods when we actually get exposed to the company and can see them and voice our opinion. And making sure that we 
actually reflect those views in how we try and focus the management teams to think about what they're doing and to employ the best people on behalf uh, of the company for shareholder value. That's very, very important. So we have a team, we work with them very closely, we take a very active role in voting, and we're no shrinking violets when it comes to doing hopefully the stronger things where we need to on behalf of uh, our clients. Yes, I think it's really important that uh, it's the investors who benefit from that ultimately. I wanted to go on, look at two areas, if I may. Firstly, some examples of companies that you may have added to the portfolio since we since we last met. And, and, and secondly, trying to understand that in the context of your holding period for companies. So what about some examples of companies that you may have added to the portfolio over the last six months? It's been an interesting market, actually, because we've seen the market move up, the market move down, and then back up again. In many ways, the areas of the market where we see value haven't changed dramatically over the last two or even three years. The cheaper parts of the market remain very cheap, and those parts of the market, to our mind, appear to be consumer-facing, more domestically-oriented sectors or financially-related sectors, uh, where there is a, a very negative view of the world. And the more expensive areas, more stable areas, areas that are perceived to be more safe, like staples, uh, have become more expensive in many cases. We see that across multiple asset classes. The price of safety in the market today is very, very high. Within that, however, there are some kind of interesting cases that have popped their head up. They're not as dramatic recovery ideas as we've seen in the last five years, let's say, but still we think represent compelling opportunity. I think within the defence space, we've been looking for some time at businesses where the outlook for defence spending has turned down. People have become very negative on that sector. But in many cases, there are businesses there that are actually fundamentally quite strong, where whatever your personal view or moral view on what some of these businesses do, there is a long-term demand for several of these products. And actually, there's a recurring revenue stream in the form of aftermarket sales. And you can pick up these businesses on very cheap valuation. So uh, something like a BAE, something that we've looked at and, and, uh, and, and put into the portfolio. I think flip to the other side, um, within the UK domestic supermarket arena, everyone's talking about Tesco. Everybody wants to talk the Tesco game. But actually, when we went to look at Tesco, what we found is that probably the better idea, the more value-oriented idea to our mind, was something like a Morrison's. The upside is reasonably significant. The business is lowly valued. The dividend yield is good. It's a well-run business. They return capital. And for all of that, you actually take quite low levels of risk, which for a recovery idea or a deep value idea is something that we find, you know, it's good to, for a balanced portfolio. So that's something we've also added in the last 12 months. I think I'm right in saying that you hold both AstraZeneca and GlaxoSmithKline in the, in the portfolio. Many would argue that one pharmaceutical company is enough. Can you help me understand why you want to own both of them? It's interesting because they also are stocks which you wouldn't classically say, well, that's a deep value recovery stock. I think big businesses can become undervalued. You know, 10 or 12 years ago, British American Tobacco was a business that was four or five billion pounds in size. And you wouldn't have said that that was going to go up 10 times, but today it is in fact 40 or 50 billion pounds in size. So big businesses can be dramatically undervalued as well. I think within the pharmaceutical space, what we see is incredibly high quality businesses with fantastic attributes, pricing power, barriers to entry, all the things that you would want valued at single-digit PEs with dividend yields in excess of five, and balance sheets that are extremely robust. I mean, AstraZeneca is a net cash business. That seems to us to be extremely anomalous. And actually, we put together position sizing based on risk. It's all very well having a stock that has a lot of upside, but if it has a lot of risk, you shouldn't have a big position in the portfolio. These are stocks where we think the upside is significant, but not as high as many of our deeper value recovery ideas. But the risks are much, much lower, and they form a nice balance to the portfolio as a deep value idea. 
So finally, if I may, and reasonably briefly, if you could, I know it's always going to be impossible to forecast what's going to happen in the short term, but um, I'm hearing a sense of optimism for you. Do you feel optimistic about the medium-term prospects? I, I do. I think that one of the few lessons to learn from life is that the world, certainly in economics, is broadly mean-reverting. When things are very good, it tends not to last. And when things are very bad, despite all the reasons you think it would last, it tends not to last in that same way. So I understand many of the structural factors that lead us to be bearish and cautious about the world. And, and I, I feel that those are correct. But equally, I know that six years ago, I, I felt very positive about the world. And we were all completely wrong about that. Where might we be five or six years from today? So I think it's sensible to plan for the worst. And to, we ask our company certainly to plan for the worst. But I think that it's always darkest before dawn. And I believe that if you are genuinely investing with a four or five year investment horizon, you can potentially expect better things over that time period. Nick Kirich, thank you very much. Thank you. Any views and opinions expressed are solely those of the individuals and are subject to change. Where individual securities are mentioned, they do not necessarily represent a specific portfolio holding and do not constitute a recommendation to purchase or sell. Please be aware that past performance is not indicative of future performance. The value of an investment may fall as well as rise, and you may get back less than you invested. Returns on equities cannot be guaranteed. Equities do not provide the security of capital characteristic of a deposit with a bank or building society.